everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 296, The Quest for Power, recorded July 30th, 2017, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Ken Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Janeer Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome, faithful opiates. Hey, I really like that drive time reference. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm just seeing how that goes. And uh, we actually have a battle of the Aussie engineers uh, tonight, so we'll have to see how that goes. We have the software engineer and the electrical engineer. Uh, Special guest Malcolm Ling is joining us uh, from the far reaches of Miles' living room. So, uh, hey, Malcolm, welcome. Good afternoon, all. Um, And so... Uh, whatever your name is, the guy on, on my left, uh, Miles, why don't you yeah. give us a brief uh, introduction of your friend there? And apparently everybody, every engineer from Australia's name starts with an M. So we've got Mike and Mitchell and uh, and we'll run through all of them. So tell yeah, us a little true. bit about uh, Mal- Malcolm and, and uh, why he's in your living room and why he's on the show. <laughs> well, <laughs> Mal and I come from the same uh, town. We were born in the same place. No, actually, Mal, were you born in Adelaide? No, I was born in Canberra. I was in the capital. Oh, okay. So he's he's far more official than I. So am. he's uptown. Yeah, he's I'm uptown. uptown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got the Bronx of Adelaide, <laughs> which is yes. where Miles came from. That is true. So we yeah we grew up together pretty much, and at least our teenage years forward. And um, yeah, Mal's the electronics engineer, and I'm a software engineer. So we were always the the only guys who probably un- could understand each other. Uh, all of our friends thought we were just babbling in some foreign language all the time. Um, but, yeah, um, Mal is still living in Australia, but he travels the world. We all seem to be nomadic gypsies or something, um, and I've been over here. so Or is it uh, wanted you know. by your government? Is that the real truth? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think when you live in Australia, anywhere you want to travel to that's English-speaking is a 12-hour flight, so you tend to prepare, be prepared to spend a lot of time on aeroplanes. Yeah. To be honest, if you want to go anywhere in Australia, it's English speaking. It's twelve hour flight now. Yeah, <laughs> except right. New Zealand. What do they speak now? I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of how it worked out. And uh, Mal's come over and and uh, graced us with his presence for many years, and it's been great. And uh, this week was no different. So I d- it was interesting though, because I mean, being over here, I've been looking at Australia from the outside all the time. And uh, the whole thing that was going on there with uh, the town which Malcolm's living in and where I'm from was a big issue in regards to power and everything. So I thought, you know, if there was ever anybody who is actually on the ground, who's lived through life with a, uh, in a city that ran out of power, and then Elon Musk stepped up and said, hey, I've got a solution for you, um, Malcolm could tell that story. So I'm going to let him do that. Awesome. And so we'll, uh, we'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, but first, I want to ask you about your Bitcoin hat. Is, that, is there a special significance to that? Uh, well, hey, it's a Bitcoin world this week, isn't it? We're August the 1st. <laughs> I don't know what happened. This whole Bit91 thing. Did you guys hear all about this stuff? I, I've been following it from a distance. It, it, uh, from a uh, non-expert uh, uh, perspective, it seems to be kind of like a stock split. Like my Bitcoin is going to double. Um, just because. So it's like a, it's a split, right? Except well, one of them may be worth nothing. <laughs> well, something like that. I mean, we're supposed to, 
there, there was this threat. I mean, I'd said a few shows back about the threat of Bitcoin hard forking and that if you didn't have your Bitcoin in the right place, you wouldn't have any Bitcoin left at the end of it. And they avoided all of that by implementing this SegWit2x thing. I mean, look, for pe people who are not Bitcoin geeks, um, I don't want to bore them because it's very complicated. The long and the short of it is that on August the 1st, which is a day after we broadcast this, I guess. Yeah, tomorrow. Um, yeah. No, it's tomorrow for us. No, two days for us. It's the day before this show will come out on the second. So right. the world will have already ended by the time they hear this. <laughs> yeah. So so what's going to happen is that the the Bitcoin protocol does fork uh, in this different way, and this thing comes out of it, the birth of Bitcoin cash, which all the exchanges around the world have basically said, we don't want to know about it, so we'll devalue it and it'll be worth nothing. But my understanding is if you've got your Bitcoin under a certain in certain exchanges or in certain storage, you'll magically get uh, Bitcoin cash to the same value of your Bitcoin or something, or the same number of them. And as you rightly say, it's probably going to be worth nothing. Although there is future speculation at 400 bucks each now. I, I don't really know what's going to happen. I think we just sort of sit back and watch and get some popcorn and and that's the way it goes. I don't know. We're all go either going to all be mega millionaires or poor, broken, homeless. Who knows? I was listening to a podcast this week and somebody asked about uh, – there's a financial-based podcast. Somebody asked, should, should I invest in Bitcoin? And, and the response, I'm paraphrasing, was you can put money into Bitcoin. Just don't look at it like an investment. And I thought, that's actually a really good way to put it. It's an experiment. That may work out well. It may not. Don't consider it an investment. It's it's far too risky. Don't plan your you know college savings or your retirement fund by putting money into Bitcoin. Yeah, I was actually going to ask Seth: Are you changing anything with your mining rig in regards to this? Did it affect you at all? Nope. I'm just I'm letting it ride, and I will react as necessary. You're raking in that uh, seventy five cents a month pretty religiously now, right? No, I'm doing about. Um, it, since the price has come down off the highs, I'm making about fifty dollars a month over electrical costs. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's not a bad spare time project, right? You don't it it costs you nothing, pretty much, very little uh, attention. Right. I mean, just you know, occasionally I have to go reboot it because it's setting in one of the hottest rooms in my house, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but you know, um, and uh, but yeah, so you know. It, costs about $50 in electricity. I'm currently pulling in about $100 a month, you know, so not bad. Hey, free money. Yeah. For, you know, money for nothing and your chicks for free. Um, yeah. That's, yep. That ain't working. That's the way you do it. Uh, <laughs> so today, uh, well, tomorrow actually is back to school for my kids very early, um, uh, probably among the earliest uh, in the country. Uh, my kid's school uh, starts tomorrow on July 31st, so it's bedlam around here uh, right about this time as we have, you know, naturally, we, we've had weeks to prepare for this, so we didn't. Um, so all school supplies were bought within the last 24 hours, and all school clothing was bought within the last 48 hours, because since we had weeks to prepare, we waited weeks to prepare. And so I have three children. My, my oldest daughter will be a high schooler uh, in about oh, 12 wow. hours, so... Um, Look uh, out! Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a strange world. It, it last week uh, she was a baby throwing up on me, and and now she's going to high school. You know, all young people listening to the show, and for some reason there are people out there who do who are young. Uh, you always hear 
old geezers like me say things like, it, it went away so fast. I couldn't believe it does. It really happens just in such time, you, you're completely unaware of the passage of time, and suddenly your newborn baby is going to high school, and then a minute later, she's, you know, got kids of her own. It's uh, crazy stuff, but yeah, that's what's going on in my life right now. So because of that, I don't have any anything other, uh, any media reports or anything like that to share with you. I, I did dodge a bullet. Um, my kids wanted to watch uh, Big Boss Baby, Boss Baby, whatever that was. Uh, and I managed to avoid it, uh, so whew, that was close. Um, so <laughs> I could have, I could have had to report on that, but fortunately, I didn't. Or have the to. emoji movie. Uh yeah. Now, there are some things that I, you know, we're in the theater. We go to the theater fairly often. Uh, movies is, has been one of my favorite pastimes since I was a kid. Um, I, I think I, uh, it may be, you know, one of those things that as you do something as a child, it becomes a favorite because it's a memory thing. My granddad was a big movie buff. He used to take us to the movies every weekend. So I think that's where I get my love of movies. Uh, but, you know, when we're in the theater, you see the previews and you think, yeah, we got to see that one or, oh, that's going to good. And then uh, the new category is that's a Netflixer. Um, and so when we saw the emoji movie, I said, that's a Netflixer. Um, that's when it's free, when it costs me nothing but time to watch it then I'll watch it. Otherwise, no. But Seth, you uh, you have a new movie that you'd like to tell us about. I have never heard of this one, so tell us about it. Okay. Yeah, this came out uh, maybe a year ago. I don't remember exactly when, but it's Miss Sloan. Um, this is kind of a Washington insider. Jessica Chastain plays Miss Sloan, and she's this lobbyist who quit from this prestigious law firm to go to work for this nobody law firm because she wanted to try to win passage of this bill and you know like i love uh the american president uh, even though i hate the politics in that movie i just i love that movie uh so this is a movie kind of about lobbyists so of course you know i mean there are uh congressmen and senators involved but it's primarily lobbyists and lobbying firms and there are some plot twists you know in some places you can tell that it's kind of like a first screenplay and first directorial debut kind of thing but all in all, I got to say, it was an interesting movie. It kept me interested till the end. I was glad I watched it. Um, and not just because it had Jessica Chastain in it. I thought the movie had merit on its own. And I enjoyed it. So I, it's my, it's a good Washington insider type movie for you to um, watch. And I watched it on Amazon Prime. So it, like I say, it's been out for a while. I don't know if it's Netflix availability, but it's on Amazon Prime. Cool. We uh, just... Somewhere out of the blue, uh, I suggested that we watch uh, the Nick Cage uh, uh, National Treasure because um, it, it's it's a favorite of mine. It, it, don't try to do don't try to take any of it for real. The history, the physics, the chemistry, none of it is real. But it's a fun Disney romp uh, starring you know the the Lord and Savior Nick Cage. Uh, <laughs> have you guys seen the the Cult of Nick Cage? It's funny. Google it. There's actually. The whole religion around him. Anyway, um, but my kids who are now old enough to appreciate that sort of cloak and dagger stuff were really into it to the point where my my almost nine-year-old was like dancing in front of the, the – in the living room in front of the television. I said, what are you doing? I need to pee and I don't want to miss this. Okay. Well, that's the beauty of Netflix. I can pause it. Great. Now now go. But anyway, uh, I did remember <laughs> to, to put that in there. Uh, National Treasure, if you haven't seen it, it's been around. You can tell I've, I've started judging movies – uh, by their uh, phone. You know, pre-2007, everybody had a flip phone. 2008, magically, everybody was holding a slab of glass. 
everybody was a flip phone in this one. So I'm not sure when it was made, but it was definitely pre-2007. <laughs> and so, Miles, you are back to the sixth level of hell, and you've uh, you've dragged your friend there with you, uh, there in Phoenix. <laughs> I warned him. I told him it's, <laughs> it's horrible here. Oh, I, no, I, the worst part about it is I've come down off nearly eight weeks of travel. I mean, on and off. And it's really hard to come back after that. It's It, it was very – when we were leaving uh, Massachusetts to fly back, I said to my wife, I don't want to go back. I don't want to <laughs> go back. But, but you, you have know. all that beautiful flat sand mm-hmm. to enjoy. <laughs> Most of it ended up in the air last night. Apparently, our phones were just getting dust storm warnings back to back. No, it's, um, it's hot here. It's dusty. It's dry. Uh, I don't know. I just want to go back to traveling yeah. again. Malcolm, you've got it right. Cause he, where are you off to next, Mal? Uh, we're driving out to Canada from Tuesday uh, and then across to Newfoundland on the east and then back home for a couple of weeks, um, end of August. Uh, let me also uh, insert here. When Malcolm says driving, <laughs> he's um, tell him about your car, Mal. Yeah, we... Uh, uh, a couple of years ago, bought a, a Shelby Mustang, so that's what we knock around the US in. Yeah, we bought it up over in Jersey, drove it up to Chicago, uh, then did the old Route 66 um, meticulously back to LA and then out to Phoenix. Uh, done a few road trips out of Phoenix out to, to Texas and back, and now we're taking it up um, next week through New Mexico, Colorado, up through the Dakotas, across through Minneapolis, uh, into Canada, uh, and then up into uh, Ontario and keeping to Ottawa for a bit before maybe driving down in, in full through the um, the East Coast again. So do you just park it somewhere in, in the U.S. when you're not using it? Surely you don't ship it back across the ocean every time. No, no, it's it's parked in secure storage. A, a, a fellow down at the Apache Junction who has a 45 on each hip, Looks after it for me, um, and we go and collect it, and it's it's always there, surprisingly enough. It's my kind of people right there. <laughs> Absolutely. I, my, I made that uh, a similar drive uh, when I was a child. We drove from uh, central Texas up through uh, Canada to Alaska. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice trip, but it is indeed a trip. Uh, you're looking at what, probably two weeks on the road? Uh, this one, just, just on two weeks, yes. Yeah. Uh, but we've also done that trip you're describing uh, a few years ago, not in the Mustang. We, uh, I think we left from Montreal, headed west across Canada, uh, up through the Casilla uh, Highway, not the Alaska Highway, to Anchorage, and then back down through San Francisco to Phoenix. Uh, that was about 15,000 kilometres in six weeks. I apologise. We, the federal government was tapping your line there. We missed uh, a little bit of that, but uh, I think we got the gist of it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's called hardcore travel. It, be- yeah. it beats me and my whining about getting a bad seat on the airplane. Yeah, and the the Shelby Mustang is not exactly the most comfortable touring vehicle. Uh, you 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 feel every ounce of the road in that car. It's basically uh, uh, an engine with a, enough body wrapped around it to keep the engine off the road. Right. <laughs> Great for getting speeding tickets, though. Yeah, we were actually pulled over by the. Uh, Texas uh, Highway Patrol, a good old boy. Um, we were only doing 95 miles an hour, and he asked where we were going. He, I said, well, we're only doing 95. He said, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, the limit's 90 here. It's a little bit over. And I said, fine. Anyway, uh, we squared that away, and he said, um, where are you guys going to? And we said, Austin. He said, uh, why the hell do you want to go to Austin? 
And uh, I said, uh, we're going to the Grand Prix. And he said, what the hell's a Grand Prix? Uh, anyway, we left it at that. That's funny. I was out in a uh, quick story uh, uh, somewhere in New Mexico. So it's between Texas and New Mexico, the strip of desert out there. Who knows what state I was actually in? Uh, it was late at night. Um, and there, there, there is an alleged speed limit out there. But at that point, when you can literally see from horizon to horizon, uh, it kind of uh, defeats the purpose of, of having to have speed limits. And this was like two o'clock in the morning. And I was flying down the road. Uh, my speedometer stopped at 85. I, I don't know how fast I was going. It was well above 85. Um, and I, I pulled across the one car on the road in, that I'd seen in two and a half hours. And I zipped past it just in time to see that there were lights on top of it. Um, and the this, again, highway patrol out there, he just waved at me as I went by. It's like, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I was. He could have put me in the jail at that point, under the jail, um, uh, but he just kind of waved at me and was like, "Yeah, I understand." That was fun stuff. Um. All right. Anything? Anything you'd like to? Any movie uh, or media or uh, entertainment type uh, thing you'd like to talk about, Malcolm? Um. Media. Let me think about that. Uh, no. To be honest, I haven't haven't seen a lot of media. Um, you're you're probably better off for it. We're probably better off for the only thing that's possibly come up is this new movie, Dunkirk, which I haven't seen as yet. Uh, the most entertaining part of that so far has been the French jumping up and down saying he didn't mention us. Right. Um, so that, that's been worthwhile. So I think just to see that the yeah. French aren't mentioned, I might go and see that. The feminists have been upset that uh, women weren't represented in this World War movie as well. Uh, so, yeah, everybody's got a reason to be upset about something. Absolutely. All right, well, let's move on a little bit to a bit of listener feedback. We just have one this week from Greg, who says, Thanks for the discussion about net neutrality. I see some elements of this being a moral issue. While we're often told that, quote, life isn't fair, we should still strive for fair dealings with everyone. It isn't fair to charge for both the sender and the receiver of a byte of data. But that's what we've grown to accept. Uh, To take it one step further, it certainly isn't fair to give preferential treatment or discriminatory pricing to established companies over startups or smaller companies. Please feel free to keep bringing up this topic, especially if there's something we can do about it. Unfortunately, I really don't think there is anything we could do about it, but uh, it is a horse that we will continue to beat. Um, just because it ne- somebody needs to say something about it. And we've got episodes to fill dad gummit. That's right. <laughs> We're here every week. So we, we can't talk about something new every week. Um, all right. So yeah, last week, Malcolm, we discussed the whole, the, the net neutrality being in, in grave danger, uh, here in the U S and that being that, uh, the, uh, the internet is going to be, a world of fast lanes and slow lanes in the near future. I'm interested to see if you have a comment uh, from a, a, um, a an other side of the world perspective on that. Um, probably haven't heard some of the the lead up to this, so it's a little bit hard to answer that question. Uh, I'm not I'm not familiar with what the discussion has been to this point. Um, I don't know if you've got the time to in 30 seconds outline what's what's been set up to now. Well, it, actually, the fact that you when I say net neutrality, you don't immediately have an opinion. That in itself is fairly interesting to me, uh, because for geeks in the U.S., it's kind of a hot-button topic. No, definitely not something that we come across in, in Australia, certainly on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Well, uh, let, me, let me fill you in on what it is. Um, 
basically what they want to do is they want to prioritize certain traffic that pumps through the internet and deprioritize other traffic and that the providers have the right to up and down you know vote effectively how good a data experience you'll have with say Netflix versus an email um, and and originally this whole thing was supposed to be that all data is equal and all shall be treated the same and and that was what net neutrality was but recently with the change of administration in the US they're sort of rolling that back and going well the the ISPs have the right to rank traffic above other traffic kind of quality of service stuff and there's been a big sort of you know, tirade, tirade about it in the in the press, and people have different opinions, and there's different sides of the equation. So. And nobody's really mad about network traffic prioritization. We all recognize that's a thing that has to be. This Skype conversation needs priority over, say, an email attachment. Uh, what we're concerned about is prioritizing uh, companies uh, or traffic uh, data types based on how much you have paid the ISP. For example, Netflix, in order to get their um, uh, packets all arrive in order in a timely fashion, you have to pay money, i.e. the fast lane. If you don't pay the money, well, you just get lumped in with all the uh, um, email attachments and, and, you know, tough it out. Okay, so you're... Is, is that happening at the moment, or is that something that's It is currently not legal. Uh, there is active uh, legislation trying to make it legal for that to happen. Okay, and that's going to tie in with the fact that our telcos in Australia all individually support uh, one of the um, media content providers, uh, i.e. Netflix or uh, Foxtel or um, Stan, I think, is our local group. So if you if you are on a Telstra, which is your equivalent to one of your AT&T-type carriers, then your Netflix traffic is actually free. It doesn't, doesn't come off your, your actual broadband allowance. Yeah, see that that kind of thing is currently not legal in the U.S. You can't um, pick traffic and not count it against a data cap. Although companies are doing it, uh, but they're it's it's technically illegal for them to do what they're doing. Okay, now that's actively promoted as being a reason to take up a particular carrier's plan, hmm. which is exactly what we geeks here in the U.S. are trying to prevent. Uh, we don't want to. Uh, well, largely, I'm interested. Uh, to see what what kind of options do you have? Like, for example, here in, in metro uh, Atlanta, actually suburban Atlanta, where I am, I have a choice. So if, say, Verizon is offering to not count data, but Comcast is counting data, I don't have a choice. Comcast is my provider. End of story. Precisely. So yeah. if you want, and I don't know which carrier is which, uh, I haven't gone into that space, but if you want Netflix and you don't want it to count against your data plan you will have to go with whichever of those carriers offers a netflix right but in the u.s that requires physically moving from one address to another yeah this would mean moving from one carrier like you might be with at&t but you would have to go to verizon to get that that plan or else it will come off your data and obviously netflix being such a high um data requirement uh, it's not going to take long to to kill your plan right that in itself so I was going to say there is something that um, is kind of a missing link in that that would join that conversation up. The the uh, the layout of broadband connectivity in Australia is kind of different to the US. Originally, the underlying cables were all provided by the Australian federal government and under a government-owned telecommunication company back in the day called Telecom. 
and that was all the copper pipe and everything that was wired. They became, I mean, they were still around when the internet was kind of just in its infancy. Eventually, the government spun them off and privatized it, but that took maybe 10, 15 years. Meanwhile, the government effectively owned the underlying cable. So they owned everything, like AT&T kind of owned all the cable here. They were forced to have to give out access to that cable to a whole bunch of providers, and that's why you have choices uh, for that. But then I guess what was it, about 10 years ago, I think they introduced a, a recabling of this whole thing based on fiber optics, and they called that the, the NBN, the National Broadband Network. And again, it was supposed to be under government control and it was supposed to be dished out and regulated to various different telcos. Um, maybe, Mal, you can talk about how that works because that is the reason why you do have choices of providers, which we here in the United States do not. Right. And before, before you go that, I, I've... I find it interesting, and, and, and in fact, probably the reason that you haven't had the, quote, net neutrality discussion there is that you have choice. And we in the U.S., the federal government has specifically uh, created monopolies or duopolies among companies, and there isn't a choice. And so we're, we're being put in a situation where um, we have to choose providers to get what we want, but we can't choose providers. Uh, so now, go. <laughs> I, I guess to some degree we've got the choice, but... The, the the network that's been built is a national broadband network. Now that that's a, a second network. There are independent networks that operate, uh, and they're at completely independent ISPs. So that's where we would get our conventional uh, fixed internet services from. Uh, now the MBN is is um, a hideously expensive government project, and it's fundamentally a wholesale. Um, data provider and then you have your rsps which are your resale service providers are hanging off that now they're they're required to provide the same um end retail price um that's 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 a fixed price what's just uh, the, the recent furor the current furor that's happening now is that um they will advertise a plan that you would get x um megabits per second data rate um but that's if you're the only one on the pipe. And they're now, because of the cost of buying the, the, the bandwidth from the MBN, they're not buying enough bandwidth so that by the time you get uh, a number of people using it, you might be getting a tenth of what the advertised bandwidth is. So that's the current um, situation of flux there at the moment, and that's that's going to be the latest thing that's going to have to be resolved. So there, you you do have your independent services, um, which are not connected to the NBN, but the idea of the government is to actually to fundamentally build another government-owned monopoly. Yeah, that's that's the old speeds up to marketing language here in the country. Speeds up to twenty-five megabits. Up to meanings meaning on the best day when you're the only person there, but in the real world you get a third of that if you're lucky. Yeah. So it's good to so, know that some things cross oceans. <laughs> yeah. In Australia, are they really good at prioritizing the speed test website? So <laughs> when you run the speed test, you get 17 gigs, but then whenever you go to Netflix, you get 128K. Yeah, pretty well. But they, they host the speed test on their own sites and they yeah. run four bytes through and check it. Um, they've also, they do a lot of independent Volkswagen emissions testing in the same labs. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Excellent callback there. Um, all right. So the, the reason you're here, uh, Malcolm, uh, ostensibly is to talk about um, solar cells and uh, battery technology and alternative energy sources, because Miles said you're an expert on such things. Um the combined knowledge of this panel 
is just slightly above I saw it on the internet one day. So you could actually be an expert or you could be a complete huckster and we wouldn't know the difference. Um, so tell us a little bit about your experience with these uh, sort of alternative energies. And then, uh, you know, just tell us, I, I have literally nothing to no prompts, no discussions. I got nothing. This is the Malcolm show. So I'm just going to turn the mic over to you now and go take a nap. So, uh, you know, ready, go. Okay, I'm hoping it's going to be a little bit more interesting than the requirement to take a nap, but but then <laughs> I, I will continue to talk anyway. Um, I probably have three interests in the in the soul now that the the um, probably the thing we should keep, you know, as in in sixty minutes, is that right after this and right after the next advertisement, I'll talk about our big battery, but I won't talk about that first. So you're going to have to listen to everything else before we get to the big battery, which is the Elon Musk minute. Um, I, being an electronic engineer, we build a lot of remote radio sites. So for the last probably 20 years, we've used solar power um, to power these radio sites. Before that, we had to have diesel generators and somebody had to go out there every couple of weeks and fill up the generator and uh, service it every month and all of that sort of thing. So solar panels came along and, and batteries. So it's it's nothing new. It's been in the news recently um, and it's been in the news for a while as being a green alternative. Uh, it's been in the news, I think, the same sort of uh, grid feed-in happens in America where, where people pretend to be green and they get paid by the power companies to feed back into the grid well let me, um, let me stop you for just a, a second there and first say you're delightfully jaded and i love that uh but you're you're describing a layout that i think is foreign to our american listeners in the u.s it's actually very difficult to find a place that isn't served by the electric grid um you you really have to go out into a desert or up on a mountain to find such a place you're describing to me that it's commonplace to have to bring your own power with you in your line of work. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Because radio sites, I mean, I think you'll find the same thing in, in America. Uh, radio sites, by the nature, have to be on mountaintops and they have to be in remote locations. So even on a mountaintop, um, you're not likely to have mains power going up. So um, we will then put a, a solar array and a bank of batteries up there together with the with the repeater equipment, and that, that will power it. And, and you can... Uh, yeah, we'd go up there once a year to have a look at the batteries and, and uh, wash the solar cells and that sort of thing, but it's a whole lot more efficient um, and practical than a generator. We don't do it because it's green. It's because it's 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 efficient and it's practical. Um, we don't have to go there. Uh, as a side benefit, it is it, it's obviously is emissions free once you've actually made the solar cells. Um, so it's that that's probably that that's where. This came from, I mean, the technology originally came from powering spacecraft. Um, but as far as a, a practical uh, utilization of it, certainly the remote radio sites, uh, yeah, in the US, in Australia and around the world, that is, that is what's driven the solar power, uh, because there is no alternative. And solar, we've, we've had the solar discussion, uh, on the show a number of times, speaking, you know, from a point of ignorance. Uh, but my, my understanding of solar power is that it's, just now reaching a point of being efficient enough to actually be useful unless you have you know large amounts of space to dedicate to it um is is that an accurate assessment of the efficiency of solar power uh, solar cells yeah if the solar cells the best pan, best cells now are reaching a 23 percent efficiency now the only thing that that's affected well two things it's affected is the the roof space that you need uh because obviously when they were at five percent you needed four or five times the area of cells 
um, to, to produce the equivalent amount of electricity and that just wasn't practical. So an average rooftop in, in the US now would have the space to put enough solar cells to power a house. Uh, and the other thing is the cost. I mean, even six or eight years ago, the cost per watt was around $10. Uh, I've just recently bought some cells for around 30 cents a watt. Um, so that's made a big difference as well. So you um, in you obviously you're storing the energy in a battery. So it's it's not a single component system uh, because no. the sun isn't always shining and you don't always need all the power that that you get. So you shunt the power from the battery from the solar cell into a battery system. So it's a two two stage component. Batteries being another thing that haven't really seen significant development since Alessandro Volta put two pieces of metal together. We've refined the metals, but it's still a pretty crude. Uh, instrument right yeah it is and and that's the other as you quite rightfully say that is the other component in fact in a, in a solar system the, the, there is there's four components you have the solar panels which generate um dc electricity you have a a, a controller uh which actually uh, interfaces between the panels and the batteries to ensure that the batteries are charged the most efficient way they can, that, that they're not overcharged, um, and to regulate them. Uh, and then the batteries, and then beyond the batteries, you have the inverter to, to turn the, the DC back into your grid electricity, which over here is 110 volts. So the batteries are the other things that have not changed a lot in technology, um, but again, the volumes have brought the price down Um over the years. I mean, 20 years ago, we had a, a wet cell battery. So that was another item that had to be maintained in the system. You had to top up the acid. You had to clean them, etc. Now that they're, they're a sealed battery, um, they're a lot tidier. They're a lot, they don't emit gases. They're not as dangerous. We had explosions when the hydrogen gas used to be, um, created by these cells sometimes. Um, they are a little bit smaller. Um, if you go to the, the very latest technology, which is the lithium cells, which is which um, the, the cells that um, Telstra are promoting, they're significantly smaller for the same amount of storage. However, uh, they're um, significantly more expensive and the um, side uh, benefit that we haven't quite got to yet is that they're made of some pretty um, nasty materials that are going to have to be disposed of and that hasn't been addressed yet either. Yeah, and one of the issues with uh, with batteries in general is the speed at which you can put energy in and the speed at which you can take energy out. And I know, for example, in uh, in my dabbling with with quadcopters, I've I've learned that uh, to be able to get a great deal of energy out of a battery very quickly um, requires a, the the lithium polymer type battery, and they tend to be volatile. Um, how does that translate into you know running a house? I would assume it's it's similar. You've got to pull a lot of energy. To run a microwave uh, in a short period of time, do you are the are the battery packs volatile in 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 the same way that that uh, like small uh, form factor batteries are? No, not the lipos are very very um, uh, sensitive to how they're charged. Uh, I mean, most uh, I I build the quadcopters as well, and we charge the batteries in a fireproof container um, because that's how volatile they are. Um, the main the thing fireplace. with the, with the solar. Um, system batteries is that you don't take them below, uh, take, take the charge down too low. It's not really the speed they're designed um, to take high loads for a period of time, but as long as you don't take them below 30%, um, generally they will last all right. If you go below that, then it starts to get hard to get them back up 
to, to the 100%. But they, they all have a, a number of discharge cycles and that's very, very dependent on temperature and how far you discharge them. All right, temperature meaning, and guys jump in, ask questions at any point. Temperature meaning higher temperature is bad, right? Yeah, high temperature and a lower temperature. There's a good temperature in the middle, but if, if you're running at a high temperature, uh, you'll get a significantly reduced number of, of discharge cycles. Which And is- likewise, at a lower temperature, you're not going to be able to get the charge into them either. So it, there is, a, I, I don't know exactly what the, um, the ideal temperature is, uh, but um, certainly too hot, too cold is not great. Yeah, well, the what the reason I ask that is places that get a lot of sun also get a lot of heat, so it it seems to me that that might be a natural incompatibility issue. To some degree, in Australia, we just bury the uh, the batteries in a in a pit below the um, repeater shelter, and that generally works. Um, ours are in a, um, a, a ventilated shed, so we don't and we monitor the temperature in there um, and. If it gets too extreme, then we'll adjust the charge rate to suit. Um, but they're, they're pretty hardy. You've just got to uh, be a little bit aware. Okay. So how, how does this scale up um, when you start talking about, like, if I want to do a house or I want to do a suburb, how does that work? Okay. We um, go, Moving on from the, the business side where we used it for powering repeaters, when we, when we build our house out in the property uh, west of Brisbane on 100 acres, we put a, po- a solar power system in there. Now, that's it's a five-and-a-half kilowatt system, um, which for the house that we have there and the water supply and everything that we have to use, um, we rarely run it, the batteries down below 90%. Um, and that's not connected to the grid in any way. It's purely for our domestic use. Um and because we're in a forest, we tended to we, we have a bigger array than what we would use because the trees don't give us the same sort of amount of sunlight per day. But we just make up for that by having more more panels. Um, so our, our house there is on a five and a half kilowatt system. Um, there's 800 amp hours of batteries, which basically gives us four days um, with no sun on on normal usage, uh, and that that works out pretty well. And so would you say, as an expert in the field, this is a commercially viable product for a large percentage of the the world yet? Not not as yet. I mean, our house out there, we don't lack for anything. We have a washing machine. Um, we've got TVs. We've got my electronics lab, which draws a bit, the, the mechanical workshop. We've got the welders and all of that stuff runs. However... Uh, the whole place does have LED lighting. The refrigerator is a special, or not special, it's an inverter refrigerator. Um, so it uses like a kilowatt per day, uh, kilowatt. Um, the, we, we don't, um, we, we would do the washing generally during the day when the sun's shining. There's little things that we change, but overall, uh, we're not a dark house on the street with, with one incandescent lamp running off the solar. We have a completely normal life out there. Um, and there's nothing that we do there in the way of energy, um, preservation that you wouldn't, shouldn't do in the city anyway, because you still have to pay, or you have to pay for it in the city. You don't have to pay for it in the bush. Uh, the difference is we've got a limited amount. Um, so there's, there's a lot of things that we've looked at and made very efficient so that when we build a new house in the city, we will actually be going completely off grid, even though we're in the middle of a major capital city, because we've determined and we've, we've measured the power that we use over a long period of time and know exactly how much we need. And we're comfortable now that for us it's viable, but 
for the for a standard family, you would have to make some changes in the way you do things. But having done that, you would save a significant amount of money anyway, even if you did it on the grid. So is there like specialized, maybe not TVs, but like specialized washer and dryers, you mentioned an inverted refrigerator that are going to cost more than regular appliances that I would need to take into account before I went off grid? Absolutely, and and you know you can use them when you're on the grid. Um, they're all they're all down at the appliance store. Um, they're, they're, you'll see the energy rating when we're looking for a, for a machine. They will tell you um, how many kilowatt hours per year that they would use you know, on an average use, and and they're the machines that we look for. Our our washing machine is also uh, very very efficient on the water use because that's another thing out at the property that we have to keep an eye on because we have to make. Uh, all of our own water comes from um, rain and is filtered and so on. So, but there, there's all of those things would save you money in the city anyway. So that the difference in price is not significant, but there is a significant uh, through life savings in the operating costs. So, what's the the driving force that would make you want to be off the grid? Uh, are you do you think you're a pioneer of the way everybody would be at be in the future or are you just a you know a kook who doesn't want to be you know tapped uh tracked by the government by the the electrical wires what what's your impetus and and a second follow-up question to that is why should i do it if i if i were to choose to okay at the property we had no choice we we, uh there was no grid there is no grid we're in the middle of a state forest so we either had to have a diesel generator which would need fuel and have to run and make noise or, or solar so there was no no choice there um and between a generator and and solar um there was, again there was no choice so for us we had to go that way uh having said that even even if we had connected to the grid the cost of connecting to the grid on on a property out there um could anything but be anything from two to three times what we paid for our solar system anyway so even if you did have access to it uh, economically it would have made sense to connect to the to, to, to build the solar uh, as a byproduct it is very clean there are no emissions but that was not the driving force uh because Obviously, like most honest people, we're going to do what's the most cost-effective. Uh, but on several counts in, in our situation, uh, the solar worked out well. Uh, for, the, for the average guy in the street, I, I believe uh, we're very close now um, to it being viable for every person, um, especially in states like Arizona, um, Southern California, you know, the Mexico, New Mexico, out, out through the deserts, very close now. Um, to being it being viable, um, the batteries obviously the Tesla batteries are making the news. That's been useful to show that there is a form of storage out there. Uh, they're going to be expensive if you've got the space. Equivalent batteries, conventional batteries like we use, will probably take up three or four times the space of the Tesla batteries. But if you've got the space, that's that's going to be the way to go. So, I would think for an average householder in the US for thirty thousand dollars, you ought to be able to go off grid. So if I'm paying, just to make the math easy, two hundred dollars a month in electric bill, um, call that uh, uh, twenty two thousand five hundred a year. So uh, I have to go fifteen years to make that back. At the moment, yeah, yeah. Um, in 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 the city. So um, it's still probably viable um, to be on grid, but with the way I don't know how the electricity prices are going here, but in Australia, uh, we're seeing a thirty to fifty percent per annum increase in electricity prices. I don't think it'll be long before that payback period comes down to the four or five year point. 
Yeah, two uh, twenty five hundred or, or two hundred and fifty a month, whatever I said initially. I don't even remember. Is actually a very low number for for most like family of five, like I am. Uh, it's going to be much higher than that. But 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 my point was, it's a it's a long term investment at this point. Um, my my kind of thinking uh, tends to be instead of making an investment now and waiting for it to pay off in ten years, wait ten years until it's a, a thousand times better. And then buy that. Um, what what do you see the future of this technology being like? You know, in ten years, are we going to have significant advancements, or are we going to have incremental advancements? Because they're just are, are we squeezing all that all that we can get out of it, or is there something that's just right around the corner? I think I think efficiency wise, we've just about hit the limit on the solar panels. Twenty three percent, pretty good, and that's basically the ratio of the sunlight going into the electrical power coming out, uh, and that's brought the the as we said, the panel size down to an average rooftop being able to, to, to generate enough to power a house. Um, I suspect the battery technology is going to continue to improve. I, I think this new Tesla factory um, is, poten- is potentially going to be able to supply the batteries for these um, solar installations, and they will both be smaller and more efficient, which means more more storage capacity for the same area. Um, so I I... As I said earlier, I don't think we're quite there where it's a, it's a um, a practical economic decision uh, in the city. But really, from any point on now, I think it will be. So probably in two years' time, you, you you're going to be able to use the lithium batteries out of the Tesla factory, uh, and that's going to significantly reduce the size uh, or the area that you need in your home to put the system in. But I don't think it's necessarily going to reduce the price. I think the the. Any sane person says this is the direction we have to go in the future. We can't continue, you know, burning dead dinosaurs uh, to make our energy. Um, is is this the future, or is there some other technology, you know, nuclear, for example, that that we should be looking to? Well, well personally, the, the the thing you have to look at in the whole green equation is the, is the through life of. Um, how you generate your of your electricity? Um, it's not just the fact. Now I've got my solar panels on the roof. There are no emissions. You have to look at how you got those solar panels. Now to get the solar panels, you have to d- drive a number of big diesel trucks and dig up the uh, raw materials. They then have to go uh, into furnaces. Now there's an enormous amount of electricity required to manufacture a solar cell. Now most of these are made in, in China. They burn coal. Uh, to produce that electricity. So you've got an enormous amount of emissions coming out of your coal to make what ultimately are your clean solar panels. Uh, at the end of the, the life of these things, especially with the lithium batteries, you've got some extraordinarily toxic um, waste that you're going to have to get rid of. You're going to have to use diesel trucks to dig the holes that you bury this stuff in. So all of that's got to be taken into account. So I, my, my belief is probably... Uh, the way it is at the moment in a city, uh, the emissions from using um, solar panels or wind power are going to be significantly more than even just a conventional coal-fired power station. Fundamentally, um, really, your nuclear power stations, I believe, are the future. We have most of the world's uranium in South Australia. Um, there are no emissions from nuclear power. Yes, there's some waste, uh, but you can poke that back down the hole that it came from. Uh, you can put it down salt mines in Siberia. There's ways of dealing with that. You're going to have to do the same thing with the, the toxic waste from the batteries. Um, and so I think at this stage, hydroelectricity, of which there is a lot uh, because of the... Um, uh, I've 
forgive me, I've forgotten the name of the river, just a metal blank, um, Colorado River um, scheme, um, that, that is also 100%. Uh, clean. Other than that, we have to look at at how we uh, what the where the power is coming from to manufacture these things before it's a truly uh, uh, a green um, solution. So, what about taking this mobile? You've mentioned Tesla Tesla a number of times. Tesla is uh, their primary goal is to make a mobile power plant, uh, and what you're talking about the battery plants and the battery walls those are interstitial steps to getting there. Um, is is that a viable future? Obviously, Elon Musk thinks it uh, is, but according to Miles, you disagree. Um, the, the thing about batteries is that they have to be charged. Um, now, Musk is talking about putting another 500,000 uh, motor cars on the road in the next three years. Uh, in the US, as in other parts of the world, you've got an electrical grid that is already bursting at the seams and is not keeping up. You get a hot day in Arizona, uh, you're running everything at, at, at maximum capacity just to keep the air conditioning going. So suddenly you have to charge 500,000 cars off that. I don't think anybody's actually thought about how that is going to handle. I don't see new power stations being built in the US. I don't see the grid um, being uh, beefed up. Uh, so I'd, I'm not sure that that's something they've, um, talked about. I guess it will come in much the same way. I, I work in the in the broadband backhaul industry. Um, Steve Jobs come up with the iPhone ten years ago. Didn't tell the networks about it. Suddenly they've lobbed these devices onto the networks that that just completely collapsed it because of the data rate. Um, but they fixed it up. So more than likely, the way mankind works, the the, the um, power networks are going to collapse to some degree before they bring up the speed, but it's something that has to be addressed because you can't... The 500,000 extra car, electric cars have to get their power from somewhere. Yeah, that's interesting. I saw that statistic uh, to yesterday, I think it was, that I think it was on Bloomberg that was saying that Tesla, for the 2018 release of the Model 3 car... Have already taken four hundred and thousand or five hundred thousand orders, pre-orders. Like people have put deposits down to buy the car that they were expecting to receive in twenty eighteen, and Musk is freaking out that he can't supply to that sort of level. So they're way over committed on on numbers. But you're right. I think no one's ever considered what the impact to the grid will be when five hundred thousand Teslas arrive, you know, in twenty eighteen at some point or twenty nineteen. And they all want to get power. So, Malcolm, you said that uh, you believe we're we're close to the maximum at twenty three percent. Let's say we could theoretically get that to thirty percent in the future. I, is that solar cell ever enough to make a uh, commercially viable solar car that you know charges its own battery and can go the you know three hundred miles uh, on a charge? Uh, that that equivalents uh, a, a gas engine, for example, is that something that you know is in the future, or is it just beyond the capacity of physics? I, I don't believe um, it's it's possible with the capacity of physics. You can you they have built um, solar cars. We have a solar car race in Australia that, that races from the north to the south of Australia. Yeah, but they're it's not cars you want to take a trip in. significantly, uh, but they're very special cars. They only drive. 12 hours of the day, they sometimes have to sit for a day to charge up. I just think um, the, the, the thermal energy that's stored in, in a tank of gas is, is many times the efficiency that you can get out of a battery, and that's, I think, for the very foreseeable future, that's going to retain 
the, the, the gas is going to remain the most efficient means of providing portable um, energy. I mean, um, it's, it's just it's just a conversion rate. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a nice thought, um, but my – and this is only my personal belief. I don't think it's going to happen, certainly not in our lifetime. Yeah, and what, what most people don't think about is that internal combustion engines are also at about 20 to 25% efficient. Most of that energy – um, you're pulling off, siphoning it off in the form of heat and exhaust. Uh, so you have two very inefficient uh, devices, uh, but with one much more powerful fuel source that, you know, so we, we just have been burning off that 80% uh, for, you know, 100 years now and not really thinking much about it. Uh, whereas in the in the solar industry, it's, it's a, a much bigger thing because you can't just drive to the gas station, to, to the sun station and, and fill up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, this is there's a lot more energy in in a twenty kilogram gas tank. Um, there's there's fifty times the amount of energy stored as in a 50, as in a, a twenty kilogram battery, and that's that's just basic physics. That's not going to change. So, um, yeah, for for very much a foreseeable future, that will be to me the most efficient means and and probably the cleanest means. I mean, in in one of the states in Australia. Um, the, there's been a bit of a, an uptake in the Tesla cars, uh, but they're charged from a brown coal power station. So ultimately, a Tesla in Victoria has four or five times the emissions of a conventional gas-powered motor car. That's interesting. Yeah, But you can't tell people that because it doesn't matter the reality. The fact is it's an electric car and that saves the world. How dare you bring up facts? <laughs> Precisely, and that's the same reason that that because they get paid six times the actual wholesale grid price to feed solar power off their houses back into the grid. That's why they're doing it. It's not because that sorry they're they're doing it because it's green. It's not because they make money out of it. And anybody in Turak in Melbourne will tell you that. Yeah, I've long been a big advocate of nuclear for that reason. I mean the uh, the the submarine program that different countries have run around the world have have proven. That you can create an entirely safe, a safe and stable, uh, long-lasting nuclear reactor that's going to give you uh, ample energy for decades uh, in a portable package. Now, currently, that portable package is you know a ton or so, uh, but if we put some bright minds into it, we could have nuclear cars running around uh, all over the place. And it just it 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 never made sense to me that we didn't uh, pursue that avenue. Uh, but you know, I think maybe pop culture. Uh, derailed that by you know the the green ooze that that turned people into monsters uh, became the 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 psyche of the country um, and people believed that nuclear is dangerous when in fact you know all things considered it's an incredibly safe and stable form of energy that has just gotten a really bad rap over the years. Mark, do yeah, you I mean, hate children? I think our, at the moment <laughs> our most effective means. Uh, or, or, or cleanest or probably most cost-effective means as well would be nuclear uh, power stations charging electric cars. And, right. and we can do that today. Um, if, like you say, popular culture could, could just change their thought or, or their perspective on it. That, that you know, as we stand today with the new um, Type 30 coming out uh, from Tesla, that would be a very clean, efficient, means of doing it but would it mean a, a, a rapid adoption of nuclear energy and the actual perception that it is clean right nobody wants a nuclear substation in their in their neighborhood 
which is what it would take. You know, obviously you can't, uh, we, we run into that power to, uh, problem today. Transmitting power across a distance is inefficient and difficult. Uh, whereas if you just put, if every neighborhood that sprung up had a nuclear power plant at the center of it, um, we could, we wouldn't need a grid anymore of energy. Uh, we could, we'd all be on our own for all intents and purposes, infinite, uh, uh, energy grid. Um, you know, it may blow up once a decade, but nah, let's not worry about that. Uh, and, and it would be very stable. I mean, right. um, having said that, the transmission uh, technologies have improved vastly too. Um, Edison, uh, when he invented electricity uh, or first popularized electricity, his his transmission technique was DC. Um, another gentleman came along with AC and ultimately, uh, kind of like the VHS beta um, battle, the AC1, um, a recent, the last couple of years in uh, Europe, some of the Eastern Bloc countries, like, uh, or oh, not Eastern Bloc, uh, Scandinavia have connected to Lithuania with very high voltage DC cables, which are very, very efficient. Um, so the transmission is not an issue. Um, you could put, Australia, for example, you could put two nuclear power stations in and power the entire country. Yeah, you could. You know, it's it, the other interesting thing. I live in a city called Scottsdale in Arizona, and it's a fairly affluent area. You know, it's reasonably high income area. And my daughter goes to college, and you know, she went through high school with other kids and other families in the area. And one of the families I, I remember kind of grated on my nerves a little bit, to be honest. Were they were one of the first people to purchase the Tesla Model S car in our in our neighbourhood, and. They were very green, hippie, liberal type folk. And they'd come over, you know, with the car and the kids would play together and stuff like that during their high school years. And I remember talking to the mother one day and about, and she was raving about how much she loved her Tesla Model S and how green it was and how she was doing such a great job for the environment and everything. And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to get into an argument. But anyway, I'm just listening going, uh-huh, really, uh-huh. Well, a year later, I, I uh, find out she gives her Model S to her daughter who's just got a driver's license. I'm like, what? This kid's got a Model S as her first car. How did that happen? Why? And apparently the reason is range anxiety. The mother refuses to drive the Model S because it, it like ran out of power once and that was good enough for her to throw the thing away. We're talking $110,000 car she gives to her daughter because she's scared of range anxiety. That's the social reality of electric cars. Nobody's thinking about range anxiety. This is a real thing, people. Well, in my daily work, I routinely travel up to 250 miles a day. Um, most electric cars are, are capable of that right now. And I think I'm an outlier in that, that I would uh, drive 250 miles in a day. I'm fairly unusual in that. Most people drive 50 or less. Uh, but yeah, uh, because there isn't an easy way to you know refill an electric vehicle, that is, a, that is a real thing that people are generally concerned about, even if it's not a valid concern. Oh, yeah, and, and just to, to tie the end off in that story, <laughs> you know what she bought to replace her Tesla Model S? A Range Rover. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. That's loving the environment right there as you yeah. tread it under tire. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Like I said, I don't have any direction to go here. Uh, do do we do we have any other follow up questions or comments for our resident electrical engineer? Well, actually, I was going to ask Mal if you could explain how this thing is uh, how the this thing has affected South Australia as a state, both politically and what Elon Musk has promised, and and how that thing all played out. All right. So so part of the the big green push. My, most of Australia's energy is generated by. Uh, coal is black coal and brown coal. Brown coal is a little dirtier. Uh, black coal's pretty effective way of generating electricity. It's been around for a hundred years, literally. Um, and South Australia, about half of South Australia's power is generated by uh, black coal power station. Uh, very stable, pretty cheap. Um, the power company was owned by the state. We had our own coal mine, our own, own tray line uh, to bring the coal to the power station, our own grid to bring it to the city. Pretty pretty good system. It was built by, by a government around 50 years ago. It worked very well. Uh, but it's coal, and coal has a bad uh, rap for whatever reason. So South Australia decided that they would go 50% renewables by 2020. Uh, so they built a whole pile of wind turbines, um, and indeed on a good blowy day, um, that does generate 40% of the electricity. Um, when it doesn't blow, it doesn't generate 40% of the electricity, obviously, but we had enough baseload power from our coal-fired power station to cover that. Uh, and as a backup, we also have a connection, like a big extension called to Victoria. Um, so if we got short of power, we, we could buy in power from there as well. The government, all their wisdom, a few months ago decided that... Um, because the um, wind turbines had the power, had the enough capacity to power the state, we'd shut down the coal-fired power station, demolish it the next morning so nobody could um, start it up again and everything would be fine. Um, about two months later, at a stinking hot day, um, followed by a storm, the wind turbines stopped um, turning, the um, heat went up, uh, storm knocked over a tower from Victoria, uh, and the entire state was blacked out for um, anything up to four days. But the entire state was out for 12 hours, and it took four days before the entire state was brought up the line. Now, uh, just last night I was watching the uh, a, a documentary on the big blackout in uh, 1965, I think, in Upper New York, uh, they were saying how it took them 12 hours to get back up to speed, Six, and that was in 1965. We, we took four days. So you're talking about a state in a, in a first world country um, being black, and I don't mean some of the lights out. I mean the entire state being black for, for up to four days. Um, so um, in amongst all of that, it, it was decided that, we needed to be able to store some power um, from these wind turbines. So when the wind turbines stopped, tur- stopped turning, uh, we'd have some backup and also to provide some t- stability to the grid. Uh, and Elon Musk came right into town. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Elon. Um, and his offer was, well, we'll build you a, a battery, uh, a biggest, the world's biggest battery, 100 megawatt hours, and we will build it. And if we don't have it finished in 100 days, it'll be free. And so the government said, yeah, that's a great idea. We'll have one. Now, there's two things out of that. One is that the the battery that they're building will power 10% of the state for two and a half minutes. Um, the other thing is that although everybody's very, very pleased with the fact that if um, he doesn't finish it in 100 days, it's going to be free, nobody has actually asked the question of if you do finish it in 100 days, how much will it cost? Really? Nobody's asked that question? 
No, because um, they're assuming that Elon Musk can't build it in 100 days. Now, from what I know of this man, um, if that's what he said he's going to do, that's what he will do. So that, to me, is is a fairly fundamental question that hasn't been asked. Uh, Having said that... um, I guess like in America, you have attractions around the countryside. In Australia, we have the big pineapple. Um, in Queensland, we've got a, a big lobster down in the southeast. I think we've got a big banana over on the west coast. Uh, now, the, the latest tourist attraction is the big battery. So the, the, uh, the tourist operators are gearing up to, for people to come and see that. For that battery to be, based on the numbers you just said, a realistic uh Ba- backup, not backups, not even the right word, but a, a uh, shunt in case of an emergency. You, you'd need a thousand of those. Exactly, and I think this one they've had to lease around uh, a farm of about seventy acres to to fit this battery on. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 ten percent of the state for two and a half minutes. Um, so you, you're talking uh, many, many, many times um, that to actually, I think, make a difference. Hmm. Publicity stunt. Yeah, from both parties. And, 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 and it will progress the battery um, conversation. So I think that's that would definitely be why Elon has, has done this, um, not to mention the fact that he's, he's going to sell, I would think, a couple of hundred million dollars worth of batteries when the invoice gets cut. Uh, so it will advance that. But uh, you... you Really, the concept of running your your state grid on batteries, I think, is it's not even a it's not even a reality in our in the in the very short term. It's a nice thought, but um, like you say, the, the size that's going to be required is just makes it unviable. Well, that's not what the news tells us, does it? Because <laughs> I remember we reading about in the news over here in the states, like Elon Musk selling the biggest battery in the world, Australia, and we're thinking, oh wow, it's going to be great. Yeah, but it ain't going to work. So <laughs> it's great. It is great, um, and and it will advance the technology, but it's not the solution. Um, if you coupled that to a mob of solar panels and and had a little microgrid running a community, that would be good. Uh, but it's not going to run a state. I, I am interested to see what happens there uh, in Australia. You know, uh, you're a, a landmass and similar in size to that of the U.S. And what what happens there it can happen here. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what happens, but I'm also doubtful. I, I think that at some point, somewhere down the line, some uh, inventor in his garage is going to come up with the perfect um, high capacity sustainable energy source. And will be bought out by, you know, Shell Oil Company, and that will be the end of that. It'll go on a shelf somewhere. Um, I'm pretty dubious about um, such transformative things actually being able to take place, just because we have such a, a invested infrastructure in the way things are. Nobody wants to. How change do you know the it hasn't already are. happened? It very Maybe well he could invented have. It. Yeah. yeah, the the 500 mile carburetor uh, per gallon carburetor is probably sitting on a shelf somewhere at Exxon. Absolutely. Um, I, I think we already have. I think the, the nuclear power station's been invented. It's a stable technology. Um, I mean, we could we could tow half a dozen dead nuclear subs from Russia and plug them into the grid and it'd be a more effective solution, I think. Good point. <laughs> uh, all right. Any, any other comments or questions before we move along? Uh, Malcolm, it's, it's been great to, to pick your brain about stuff that I know nothing about. Uh, you could have been lying to me this whole time, but you did it so convincingly. That uh, I'm, 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 I'm all in. No, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, Biles, anything? 
No, I mean, this no. stuff is, is usually beyond my feeble brain, so right. I always leave it to the experts. It's just it's really interesting to get an expert to tell you what the newspapers are not telling you. Anytime I hear somebody that says, I have a parcel of land off the grid, I get my own water and my own power, I, I can't help but think, you know, the Unabomber. Um, and and you sound like a reasonable, intelligent person, but um, I I think we're just ingrained, at least here in America, to distrust people who don't want to be you know on the grid with everybody else. It's it's like you're you know you're somehow hiding your activities, or you want to you know have some sort of paramilitary compound. So we we automatically jump to that anytime somebody talks about uh, being self sustaining. You're a prepper. You're a you're a you're a doomsday person. You're a Y two K or back uh, back in the day, um, and you know it's hard to take the conversation seriously when we've all sort of been programmed to not take it seriously. No, we're well, just normal people. We've, we're comfortable. It's a com- comfortable modern home um, with all the mod cons. We've got a town that we, we live in. We go out to dinner there. We have people over, same as anybody else. It's just we happen to be off-grid, and we don't even use the term off-grid. We're just a self-sustaining. I basically uh, I run my own um, services there. I, I've got my own sewerage, my water, my power, um, plumbing, gas, everything. Um but it's just it's normal there's nothing untoward about it uh it just happens that that's the way we've had to and, and i guess i'm fortunate i'm an electronic engineer and and a general engineering capability and and i've been able to do it and i've enjoyed doing it maybe it's the cache of high-powered weapons in the basement that's turning me off uh, now they're in the they're in the wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and one one thing to consider and when somebody goes off grid the electric company isn't just going to eat that cost. So what's going to happen is everybody else who stays on grid, their prices get jacked up because the electric company's got to make money, at least here in America. And, you know, the executives, they got to have their cappuccino and their frappuccino. You know, they're not going to do with giving up one or the other. So if they lose 10% of their customers, that equates to a 15% rake hike for everybody else. So you know yay capitalism it kind of has to be all or nothing you're right i guess I mean, we've seen know, that not yeah. not as a result of this but as a result of the government wanting to promote um um sustainable energy as being a solution they've had to subsidize it very significantly so as a result of that um for example they've they've paid they've subsidized the, the power that somebody who puts some solar panels on their on their suburban roof uh, at four or five or six times the normal rate of the grid. Uh, so people have put them on and they've paid and they've actually made money out of it. But that's had to come from somewhere. So you've, you've got the, the haves that can actually afford to buy the solar panels and then are making money out of it. And then they've, on the other hand, they've had to charge the have-nots twice for their electricity to subsidise that. So it's, it's created a huge... Um, off balance, it, it, it's, and I guess we're at the point now where is it with the, all the solar, all the sustainable energy promoters are saying it's the most effective, efficient, cheapest form of energy there is. We're saying, okay, well, if it's so um, cheap, why do we have to keep subsidising it? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, the other thing that is um, the basic rule of capitalism here that if you're selling power back to the grid to subsidise the cost of your power. The buy price of your uh, sale is so, so low compared to the sell price of the power company is selling it back to somebody else. And 
that dynamic is a win for the power company in a huge way. The problem is that no one realizes when you've only got one customer to buy your power that you're generating off the grid, they dictate the terms and you have no free market there at all. So you're in a very, very bad position economically to do that. So the way I look at it is if I was going to put solar panels on my roof, it's because I want to be off grid. It's not because I want to sell it back to the power company. Absolutely. The, the model of selling back the power company has is, is got hair on it. Um, it's, and, and it's not in, in a city much the same way as, as you have the efficiency of, of running a car on, on um, gas in a city way and above the, the cleanest, most efficient means of electricity is to have a big, very big um, baseload power stations running at capacity. Um, it's, it's The only reason I see that you would use the, the solar is in a remote area when the only, only alternative is to have a dirty diesel generator. Yeah, I've been saying for years that the, the, the real struggle that um, humanity is facing is not, you know... Uh, war it's not a lack of resources it's not uh human on human violence it's it's energy um once we have a viable clean renewable high capacity energy source things like space travel and all these sort of things will be easy the reason we don't go to space right now is because it takes too much energy to go to space the reason we don't do a lot of things is because it takes too much energy to do them the reason we don't desalinate the oceans is because it takes too much energy to desalinate the ocean. So we have deserts and oceans, which is kind of stupid. We should we should be able to moderate both of those things, but it takes so much energy to do it. And um, the the single best, highest capacity, cleanest energy source that we've ever discovered is a pariah, and we can't use it. Yeah, and that's that's a perception that's going to have to change over time. Uh, we have it there. Uh, I mean, even Australia, yeah, as a, as a needle town, we have gas. We've got more gas than than pretty much the rest of the world put together. Um, if we were to use that, that's a very clean means of generating electricity. Um, but um, the the regulation or the lack of regulation and the pricing structure and the fact that it's all exported means it's not viable. So we've we've got to it's got to be some political sense, and that's probably. About the biggest oxymoron I can say, uh, other than military <laughs> intelligence, um, before that's going to congressional happen. responsibility. So, uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's it's going to have to come from the people, but I don't really want to rely on that either. All right. Well, this is the part of the show where I tell you, the listener, how you can get in on the act. Go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA, fill out the form there, and uh, make your voice be heard in the way that uh, Greg did at the beginning of the show. Or you can dial 559-IMOP. Uh, that's our Google Voice line. It's a free call anywhere in the continental North America. Um I don't know what it costs in Australia, sorry. Uh, but you can leave us a voicemail there, and uh, uh, and we'll play it on the show. We do want to hear what you have to say. Uh, I love the fact that that we have two um, non-Amerocentric um, viewpoints here. Miles, Miles less so. His has been watered down over the last couple of decades. But uh, Malcolm comes in here with truly a different worldview, and I love that. And I like it when we hear from you know members of our audience. We have we've had feedback and we've had uh, responses from. Uh, from South Africa, from Russia, from Ukraine, from uh, Israel, from uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, from all over the world. And I love the fact that this podcast has such a global reach. Uh, I am interested to hear non-Amerocentric thoughts, uh, but that doesn't mean you can't reply if you're an American. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this whole energy thing. What, um, 
you know, wh- what do you think? What are the biggest problems? Are we just a bunch of uh, spoiled first worlders, worlders whining, or is this a real concern? Um, you know, uh, by definition, if you're listening to a podcast, you're probably a first worlder. Um, it's it's kind of a first world activity. Uh, so, but you, so we may have a pretty biased viewpoint. But I am interested to hear here. Imagine what you know when I was talking about the the energy thing. If we had cheap, reliable, clean energy, and we dropped that in, um, you know, the desert in South Africa. Uh, imagine what change we could make for the good of whole, of a whole society there if we could give them clean energy. Um, it's it's a thing that I've been passionate about for a long time, uh, but unfortunately, I'm just passionate. I'm not knowledgeable or have any power uh, in the in the realm. But tell us what you think. Uh, go to elementop.com, click the contact us button us button, and let us know what you think. Um, and now, Seth, tell us what happened this week in history. All right. Well, for this week in history, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the computer. We have a two for one this week because in July 28th, 1981, IBM introduces their System 23 Data Master Desktop Computer geared towards small businesses for use as a word processor and data processor. The computer was designed to be set up by end users without the need of a computer specialist. And this was back in 1981. While now it's just a footnote in history, the important of the data, the importance of the data master is that many of the team members de- who developed it, they were reassigned to the IBM PC project, something you've probably heard about, at least in history class. Uh, much of the knowledge they acquired went into developing the IBM PC and but here's a few um, specs of the IBM data master it came it cost about nine thousand eight hundred and thirty dollars and this is in 1981 with the printer it weighed approximately 95 pounds the CPU was an Intel 8085 it had 64k of RAM and its display was 80 by 24 with the green characters, six internal slots and dual eight inch floppy drives with basic has an operating system in 1981 and Dell wanting to get in on the act. And I think this is why they announced it on July the 28th, 1987 announced the Dell workstation 400 well, hold on. 1997, Dell? 16 years later. Okay. Yeah. 90, did I say 87? I'm yes. sorry. So in 1997, Dell Computer Corp. announced its entry into the workstation market with the Dell Workstation 400. The move to the more powerful desktop computers, most commonly used for engineering, followed Dell's entry into the network server industry as it expanded from personal desktop computers and laptops in order to grab a larger part of the market. Dell offered this workstation, and depending on how it was configured, it would cost between $3,000 and $8,000. And to give you um, what $1997, dollars $8,000 $8, could buy you, a Pentium 2, 2 66 um, with up to 512 megs of RAM. I think it came with 64 um, and it would run Windows NT. So this is, think think about that. A workstation, high-end workstation, $3,000, but look at the specs now that your phone can run circles around. So that happened on This Week in History, Mark. And now back to you. So you're looking at two slices of time there, 1981 and 1997. So uh, 30, uh, one, 36 years ago and, uh, 20 years ago, respectively. Uh, what a huge jump between those two. Uh, and you know, just imagine where we're going to be in the next 30 or, or, or 40 years. Um, 
it's it's an exciting time. I say this all the time. It's an exciting time to be alive. We have seen more change in my 45 years than in the previous 400 years. Um, don't fact check me on that. I just made that up, but it sounds reasonable. <laughs> um, it's been an amazing time to be alive, and, and what my grandchildren are going to see uh, uh, is just, I can't even imagine, I literally cannot imagine it. That's why I like to look at this week in history, because it shows us what this week in the future might be in the future. Cool. I, I was really driving that home for a point there, and then I just ran out of gas. If I'd had an electric vehicle, maybe I would have been fine. Well, I have a coworker that has uh, has an a Lexus hybrid, huge SUV vehicle, runs on like a two and a half horsepower Briggs and Stratton lawnmower engine um, that is just enough to charge the battery. Um, and I think if I was ever going to buy an I quote an electric vehicle, that was what I'd need because her her range is infinite. She can. She can run on just the gas engine, not great power, uh, but she can do it. But when she's on the electric engine, uh, man, that thing has power to spare. Uh, she can she could pull the rubber off the tires if she wanted to. Um, but it's like a million and a half dollar vehicle. I don't even know. It's way more than I could afford. I'm driving a 2008 pickup truck, and I'm thinking it's probably still got another 10 years in it. So I'm probably not the best person to be talking about luxury electric vehicles. Um, anyway. Little tag there. So now, Seth, uh, what do you have to lower my productivity, thus making look, you look like a better hiring option? All right. This is, um, you've heard of like the Wayback Machine on the internet. This is not quite so much. This allows you to see what the internet was like 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, .io, you go there, it has a list of sites. You can go click on them, and it shows you what that website looked like. 10 years ago on this day. So like if you go there tomorrow, it'll be July 31st. You know, if you visit it, if you visit this website on August the 15th, it'll be August the 15th, 10 years ago. So it's just kind of a neat little snapshot in time. See what YouTube look like, see what Amazon look right. Uh, stuff like that. This uh, weird rotten fruit down at the bottom of the screen. You can see what it looked like. Um, just whatever floats your boat. That's frames were the thing 10 years ago. Lots of frames all over the place. Oh, yeah. Wow. Amazon Amazon hasn't changed a bit. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would have thought 10 years ago Amazon was still a bookstore, but, I mean, their first thing is diamonds on the first page here, and Mr. Potato Head and diamonds. What <laughs> what more can you get? Where else can you get a Mr. Potato Head and diamonds? Um wasn't it Only this week that Jeff Bezos became the richest man in the world for a short period of time or something? For one day. Yeah. yeah. For one day, right. It's all paper money. It's it's all tied up in his company. If he actually tried to 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 get that money out of his company, his own value would drop. That's one of the things that always amazes me is is that kind of value is unattainable because once you start trying to attain it, you it no longer has that value. You you would drive your own price, your own value down. Wow. Yep. Apparently, 10 years ago was when Lance uh, Armstrong was thrown off the Tour de France for doing apparently well, what everybody else does. Yeah, when he got caught doping. Not that yeah. he's the only one, but when he got caught. Right. Wow. Uh, okay, that's a show, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we thank you for hanging out with us, Malcolm. Uh, you know, next time you're uh, making a transatlantic trip feel free to drop in but due to the, the miracles of skype you could actually do this from home probably in your uh separatist compound um <laughs> after the ninja trading 
thank, thanks for hanging out with us. It really was a lot of fun, and please do come back. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And um, I guess that's it. There's nothing more to say but pay for what you like. <laughs>